Released on Sunday, May 17th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 84. That one looks delicious. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today, I have two wonderful co-hosts. First up, we have Natalie Simonson. Hello, everybody. Good to be here today. It's good to have you back again. Thank you. What is this, number three, two or three? Number three, yeah. So I haven't screwed up too much. Uh, So you keep on inviting me back. So I'm pleased about that. Well, we love having you on the show. Thank you. Also with us, Natalie, we have my one of my favorite co-hosts of all time, Amos. Oh, no, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> Joe Craig, Barnes? Craig Buchek. <laughs> have to get Joe Barnes in there right away. Uh, hello, everybody. How are you, Craig? Uh, doing pretty good. It's uh, The weather's been raining the past three, four days, and today it's just beautiful. It and is quite tomorrow nice. Off and it's, tomorrow's going to be beautiful, too. Well, we're going to jump into some Agile discussions here, guys, and tonight's episode is going to be all about product ownership, one of the most important aspects of Agile projects. Very, very wonderful when it's done correctly, and it can be absolute torture when it's done poorly. I'm sure we've all seen the good and the bad of that over time. And Natalie, you particularly had some things you wanted to discuss, so how do you want to start this conversation? So I'd like to frame it up with uh, a recent experience. We were looking at all of our teams uh, to see how ready they were to be uh, self-organizing and do the thing that I know that John loves to talk about, remove the Scrum Masters. Uh, When we did that, um, it became, uh, there was a pattern that emerged that, I mean, you you see the problems individually on teams, but when we looked at it collectively across 12 teams, uh, this pattern that emerged that uh, became sort of, you know, was the epiphany for me was every team that had poor product vision or poor poor vision buy-in from the team failed at everything else. Their planning was horrible because they didn't believe in what they were trying to do. Their their communication was horrible because they were fighting about the, the collective vision. So there multiple aspects of a team's function just just failed miserably because of this product vision. So that led me to the be better at at communicating that product vision. And you know what is the, what is their responsibility to the team to uh, to make sure that they have a good understanding of that product vision. How would you say that? Um, do you think that this is indicative of? What is this indicative of? Is, do you think it's it's a problem with the product owner as the person, or do you think it's more a problem organizationally with direction that's coming down through the product owners? I think it, it can be both. 
Um, in this particular situation, I think some of it was from an organizational perspective that clear direction and vision um, was was not understood. Uh, but then I've also seen cases um, a couple of years back where um, I was scrum master on a team that basically built a application for one person who didn't they, that that product owner didn't bring in his customers and were, didn't bring in the customers to the team. And when I came onto the project and it had been several years in progress, um, I, I said, well, why don't we have these other users that use this this tool with us and, and talking with us? And when we changed that, that approach, the, the team suddenly felt like they were actually building something that would be used at some point outside of this one particular person. So, so that answers the question I had was, was, is the vision bad? So that sounds like a case where the vision was actually not very good. Um, so that's one instance, you know, how do you solve that problem? That's, that's sort of a hard problem to solve, I think. Um, without, I guess your answer is to bring other people in that yeah. can sort of refine the, the vision or focus it or... Um, bring some perspective to improve it. Um, so that, that, I think that's the first question. Is it a bad vision or is it communicated poorly? When you ask, when you ask, question. is it, uh, Craig, when you ask, is it communicated poorly? Do you mean, is it communicated poorly from higher levels of the organization to the product owner or that the product owner is probably doing a poor job of communicating the vision to the team? That'd be really tough if you were a product owner and didn't understand the vision. Well, here's why I asked. <laughs> but, but it could it could be a I I could imagine situations like that though. Here's where I ask. I think that Natalie was being extraordinarily nice by saying that it can either be the product owner not being able to clearly communicate the vision, or that it can be the organization not giving the product owner clear direction. I, I think that the buck has to stop at the product owner, and so at that point, I think that. It's entirely on the product owner. If as a product owner, you can't come up with a clear vision through conversations with the organization, then you have to stop and not let the product really go any further because you know that you're just going, if you as the product owner, back to Craig's point, if you as the product owner aren't clear on the product, you don't have a clear vision. You don't know what it's going to be or how it's going to value the company, then you should stop and not try and just start flailing around by telling the team, well, today the product is this, and then a week later it's this. And I mean, that's not, and I'm not being uh, hypothetical here. I'm saying that I've been in situations where I've seen a product owner literally change the vision of the product week by week as a result of feedback that he's getting through conversations up the chain. So that, that takes a lot of security to be able to say, hey, I don't understand. Let's, let's pause here. I mean, you've got to have some faith that you're not going to face some repercussions by admitting to that, right? Even if it's not your fault, a lot of people are going to be afraid and say, I can't admit that I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing here. So is the alternative to spend money to spend the company's money on bullshit because you were too scared to say that this isn't a clear enough vision. I, 
I find agile is a way to help face reality um, by embracing reality and working with it instead of against it. But I think, you know, most companies, especially middle management, which is where product owners tend to come from, their job is more to protect their jobs than anything else. And I could talk for hours on on this kind of dysfunction of companies, but it's good. We have a that, podcast, Craig, but, yeah, <laughs> but, but that's reality is there is that dysfunction where those types of people tend not to admit shortcomings that, that, because they're afraid. Um, but I don't know. I think the answer is you're going to have to, or the entire team is going to suffer. So Natalie, I'll put you on the spot a little bit and say, if you have a product owner who appears to be in the situation where they're not entirely clear on the vision, what do you think the team should do in that case? I know that one of the one of the points that you wanted to get to later is self-organizing around the vision and, and what to do when there's problems with the vision. So what are some things that maybe you would try to do with the team if the product owner showed up with a really wishy-washy sort of half-baked vision? Yeah. So, and, and what I have seen uh, the teams do, which I, I do think that they uh, absolutely should do, is challenge the product owner and continually push and uh, uh, to refine that vision. Uh, but then what I don't see as often as I would like to is for a product owner to accept that feedback and, and take that in and understand and say, yeah, you know what, I, I, I don't have the information uh, that that you need, and and I'm going to go and seek it. And to your point earlier with what you were saying, John, about you know, the buck stops at the product owner. I think it's so oftentimes um, with what with uh, teams that I've seen, uh, they get direction from uh, a senior leadership, but then they feel like uh, they, that direction that that initial direction is taken. Yep, got it. Uh, they don't run with it then they're constantly looking back to leadership to keep on getting that direction um and where what i would like to see with product owners is to to truly own it and and move forward with it and for those team and for the teams to to continue to to challenge um and disagree that that healthy disagreement rather than you know actually just saying this is stupid i'm not gonna do it you know that kind of stuff but you know to truly understand so that they can be bought in another an example um, uh, from one of our teams uh, that that what that didn't buy in. There was a clear vision, but they didn't buy into it because they didn't think it made sense that we that the team wasn't going to be successful. This what this product wasn't going to make money. But once the product owner sat down and spent time with the, the market research that has been done, the competitive analysis that had been done, and justified their vision, completely different team. They're like, oh, aha, I got it. And so that's where I think sometimes product owners may see a team as a pool of bodies to do their bidding and not truly be part of that team and say, you know what, I owe this to the team to help them understand how this and why this is going to be successful. That, that reminds me of a conversation I had today with some of the, the agile champions uh, on our teams. And that is that customers like to come in and ask for solutions instead of presenting the problem and asking for developers and, and other team members to, to help come up with those solutions. 
And when one person has all the solutions, it doesn't leverage all the rest of the team to, to come up with better solutions and to collaborate, to, to come up with the best ideas and, and move forward with those. So how would, how would you handle a situation, Craig, where the product owner has come back to the team and the team is getting, the team is now pivoting. We're at a pivot point where you've delivered a product and the team is moving on and the team is going to be starting work on a new product. The product owner comes back to the team and presents, we're going to be working on new project Y and product owner explains exactly what new product Y is. But at the end of the explanation, uh, the team, including yourself, are left wondering, hmm, I don't see how this really is a viable product. Uh, do, you, do you just kind of go about your knitting and, huh. and keep working, you know, so, or, or do you stop and start to ask questions and, yeah. and um, I don't know, challenge is, challenge is the word I think that Natalie was using challenge the direction, challenge what the product is, and how far do you go with that? Right. So uh, before we had talked about sort of if you don't have a vision that's working, you almost have to pause. But actually, I could imagine you probably don't want to pause because then you have idle people and that's waste. You could probably move forward with places where you do understand the vision or things that need to get done despite what the vision is. Um, iteration zero or setting up the walking skeleton. Even if you're not exactly sure what the direction is, you could probably set up servers and test right. environments and all that stuff. You probably know what some of the architecture is going to be. So you could move forward with getting some of that basic architecture and infrastructure in place. Um, so short term, I think you can still move forward. I think if you don't get it resolved in the long term, though, that's where it's really going to bite you more than, than getting started. Um, so I think you do need to challenge and, and not challenge in the, in the bad sense of the word, but sort of have that back and forth collaboration on trying to refine it, trying to, uh, to incorporate multiple ideas so that you have a direction that's, that's better than any one of you could have done. So, and I think that feeds into like, yes, you can get some of those, you know, sort of foundational, um, uh, that foundational work done uh, where teams start to struggle as they get start executing on that, uh, that where I've seen uh, the, the MVP is not clearly enough to find. So people thrash around, what is it that we, what's the, what is it that we're trying to get to, to actually release this? And then, after that, even once you get that that piece out, you know uh, the um, the feature priorities. What what is truly next, and um, and and that often uh, can fluctuate, which is fine. Uh, but sometimes product owners have been very very wishy washy about both MVP and then that feature priority. So I would like to talk a little bit about. A little bit about this, and I kind of played the moderator role there for a little while and asked you guys the questions, but now I'd like to give, I guess, my ideas and thoughts on this specifically, especially in regard to MVP, which is something that Natalie just brought up. There's, there's going to be inflection points throughout, I think, any product development lifecycle where intelligent minds 
can completely disagree on whether or not a product is viable, whether or not it's the right thing to do, and whether or not it makes sense to invest the company's money into that product. What's important and what I see that is a a really great aspect to both the MVP, minimal viable product approach, as well as mixing in aspects of like lean canvas and lean startup into the MVP approach is that what you're doing is asking, what you're doing is presenting to the team this lean canvas that suggests, here's what our MVP is. As part of that lean canvas, you're describing what success looks like, what the product is going to look like. And along with that, you're, you're supplying some evaluation criteria that you're going to use as an organization to determine if the product was successful or not. And at that point, you can say to the team, hey guys, hey team, I get it. You're not entirely bought into this. The good news is we're going to do a small MVP. We're going to get test data from the market on this MVP. And here's how we're going to determine if this really is a viable product or not. We're going to collect this data and we're going to find out, is this working or not? And now I can ask the team from the product ownership perspective to engage in a leap of faith with me and say, this is the first, this is our first try at this product. We're going to take a minimal approach. We're going to deliver this small bit and then we're going to evaluate how well it goes. And then we're going to make our next decision after we evaluate that progress. Is that a reasonable way to approach this? Uh, A leap of faith is hard unless you trust the person asking you to make it. Um, So if it's... You don't have to trust me though. If I'm the product (laughs) owner, you don't have to trust me because I've articulated on the lean canvas what the success criteria is for the product. Are you afraid that I'm, as the product owner, if you don't have trust in me that I might cheat? I might cheat the research. I might pad the research. Well, I might not think that it's achievable, that the goals are achievable. At, at that point, small. I probably need to find another team. Well, just because it's small doesn't mean it's achievable. No, but I'm saying it's, it's, a, it's a small product. It's a minimal viable product. It's something that, you know, I don't know, it takes a few months, maybe three or four months to do. And if it doesn't work, well, then we have to reconsider things. Uh, personally, I, if I was dedicating the next four months of my life to something I didn't believe in, I would, I would jump ship probably. Okay. That's fair. Um, even I mean, that that's not small enough for me to, to, to work on something I'm not believing in, unless I can find some sort of way to contribute in, in something that it, in a way that I do believe in, um, you know, maybe that's being sort of an agile coach type of thing. Um, so I I think that's that's always an option, you know, voting with your feet. Oh yeah, but but I think your solution is good to to make it small as small as possible to to fail fast. And I think my definition of failing fast and your definition might vary a little bit. Where I would want it more in a few weeks or you know a month or two, and you're more three or four months. Well, that's ideal, of course. I was uh, wanted to add to the the trust in the the PO and and their MVP, that to me has become a a, a resounding um, issue. 
when when teams don't believe that their their POs understand their space and their market, um, they teams just lose faith completely. So it can't be underestimated. And that's where it goes back to the team, the the PO selling that uh, vision to the team, because that's actually what demonstrates their understanding and their ability to, to speak for, for why this product needs to be built a certain way, why this feature A is more important than feature B. Uh, I, uh, but there's also that point where, like, come on, people, you don't get, you know, like, I, I know we're, we're agile and everybody is part of the team, but at some point we have to start coding. Um, and, you know, there, there there are argumentative people out there that like to argue any idea that anybody has. And, and at some point you have to say enough's enough. This is the direction we're going. Um, and you either like it or you don't, uh, which is it's, it's a hard balance in promoting an agile approach where everybody, everybody's voices needs to be heard, but then still, you know, getting to a point where you can actually produce some work. Self-organizing does not necessarily mean a democracy. I'm so glad you said that and not me because I've, I've <laughs> hate mail. No, no, my way. not, not at all, Craig. It's that you're reinforcing what I've been saying for a while as well. And I think that there's a misunderstanding about what self-organization means. And it, it, the, the scope of what self-organization is has been, has been scope creeped, if you will, to include just about everything that has to do with a project. You know, we get to, we get to decide how much we get paid. We get to decide how many vacation days we get, what product we're going to develop. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I mean, there's some constraints. There's always some constraints. Can, can we decide what market we're in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can, can we be a game company uh, that decides that we're going to be a spreadsheet company all of a sudden? Wait a second. We're a manufacturing, a steel manufacturing company. <laughs> I think I saw a new word. I think it was holacracy. That it basically is that idea where it includes everything like determining your own salaries. Um, I, 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 I'd. Pr- I don't have a problem with transparency of salaries, but the term in your own starts to get a little odd, I think. I'm on board for that. Just uh-huh. FYI. <laughs> no, I, I agree. There, there, there is this, and, and that's a balance when, particularly if you're doing, uh, you know, like a, coming into a company that is new to Agile um, and you want to encourage and support people in speaking up, but, you know, like some people that may, continue to speak up and always be, you know, sort of overridden because their idea isn't, isn't ran with, uh, is, you know, like they start to question, well, this doesn't work. You told, you know, you sold me a different bag of, you know, uh, a different approach. Yeah. I think it's difficult. It, It can be difficult when in, in the trust, in the arena of trust, it can be especially difficult if a team has a, a poor track record with a product owner, if the product owner and the team have, have kind of a poor track record where they've, they've had trust issues, uh, I think that a team is less likely at that point to embark on any new leap of faith journeys with the product owner after they've already had a number of trust issues. I think it can be a little easier uh, when you're a new group coming together, because you're you're a little more willing to let 
let your mind kind of wander and and say, okay, I'm willing to take a chance here. It's a new team. You know, let's see how this goes for a a, a few weeks or a, a maybe a month or a couple of months or whatever. But if there's been a track record of past trust issues, you're going to have a real problem getting past that. And I don't know what, I mean, it's almost one of those moments where you have to think, gosh, we need to, maybe we need to blow up this team. You know, we need to completely dismantle it and start over. I don't know how you overcome those trust issues at that. Or have, or have your come to Jesus meeting. And what would that look like? I mean, what what do you want the outcome to be of that come to Jesus meeting? Usually that ends up being destruction of the team. Right. Or or you find a way to, to move forward as, together in, in a unified direction. I don't know, Natalie. Do you have ideas or thoughts about what to do when, when trust begins to fail on a team like that? So, uh, how do, you, I how do we restore the trust? How do we bring the trust back? So, uh, something that my dad used to tell me is that you can't barter, barter for trust, right? It, it's earned. Uh, it's not something that you, you know, like you, you literally have to, to earn that trust. And I think product owners, once it's lost, um, they have to work. And sorry, there's a dog making horrid sounds in the background. <laughs> product owners need to earn that trust it's the same as team members with each other and the product owner um but uh, yeah so it it, and that's where i I go i go back to you know like i've seen where product owners have turned that around where they have you know started to like listen to the team to say we don't get this i don't understand this and he's actually spent the time to address that and understand what their concerns are and, um, and, and talk through it with them. And part of that, particularly in, you know, in, in fields like where, where you're developing, where you're developing in a technology field where most of the people on your team, sorry about the talk, (laughs) where, where most of the people that are on the team, the developers on the team are potential end users of the product that you're creating. They, they have this, additional value to to the product owner because they're potential customers so you know like having them give feedback on i wouldn't use that app i wouldn't use that service is absolutely important right so how do you build trust there there are actually trust building exercises right fall back into my arms craig yeah right exactly (laughs) that's the one everyone pictures right um team building exercises um Empathy actually is a, a large part of trust. I, I think if you build empathy, you're building trust at the same time. There's there's exercises for that. There's just spending time with 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 your team members. Um, going to lunch with them actually is something uh, we've been trying on our team lately. Uh, doesn't have to be paid lunch. Just if you're going to lunch, why not go to lunch together and and talk about each other uh, about your lives outside of work. Um, another thing that you can do is um, pairing, pair programming, or doesn't even have to be programming. It could be pairing on emails or uh, figuring out what the MVP is. Pairing is a great way to build empathy and trust as well. There's, a, there's an excellent game that I've used for retrospectives, Craig, that is um, 
I'm not sure if it's just called the empathy game or or what it is, but I'm I'm sure Craig, you've probably done it where you you draw the uh, like the profile of of the person's head, right? And you 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 try to map out what you think. You draw some lines. Then I'll try and include a link to it. Uh, it's called Empathy Map. You try and you try to superimpose yourself into the shoes of the person so that you can empathize with them. And you come up with things like, what does this person feel? What do they see? What are they hearing? What are they saying? What are they thinking? And you try and project yourself into their shoes so that you can then actually develop some empathy for what that person is going through. So I think that that's one thing that you can do to help build the trust. I think you can also start to be more inclusive with the team for some of the conversations that the product owner has to participate in. If the product owner has to go and talk with uh, other people in the organization about how the product is being roadmapped and developed, maybe some people from the team can go along and participate so that they're getting an idea of what the product owner is dealing with and and uh, the hurdles that the product owner goes through on a daily basis as the product owner. Yeah, I definitely think that there's some lack of understanding sometimes from the team as far as what the product owner is doing when they're not involved with, you know, in the team area uh, to to get to the point of um, uh, giving them uh, the direction and the priorities that are, that are needed. Um, to your exercise, just going back a little bit, I also have another exercise I can send your way and we can share um, that that helps people look at uh, in a team in a in a relationship uh, uh, that how what you think and how it uh, it makes you react to other people and um, and then how it forces them to react to you. And so, the, and it's sort of perceptions and understanding of where those other people are, are coming from. So I'll send it your way. Great. We'll include that in the show, in the show notes. Well, what, what can we, where can we go from here? I think maybe we've talked quite a bit about the product owner and the product owner's responsibility. Um, and, saying that the buck stops there. But if the product owner has done their level best to present a product that we can um, get behind, what, what do we do? How do we deal with situations where maybe the team now, the members of the team are not stepping up and taking responsibility for the product and what's in the, back, the product backlog? And I think Natalie has some ideas here. I do. I uh, recently uh, was invited to do a retrospective for one of the teams. And uh, when I went in there, uh, they were, they were all over the place saying, I don't know this. I don't know that this, I'm not sure which is a priority. I'm not sure there was a whole bunch of questions. And so we ended up boiling it down to about seven questions that they felt that if these were answered, all their problems are solved and they could move on. And I was not familiar with their backlog. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I hadn't looked at any of that. I was just going in to do the retrospective. So afterwards, I spent some time with uh, one of the leads and the PO. Like it, they said, this is all in the backlog. The team was being this, you know, like 
passive i'm just you know like a a passive participant in this and and i've and i've seen some of this on other teams as well where you know they're the product owner is doing their their diligence they are prioritizing the black backlog they are giving clear acceptance criteria but the team seems not to think seems to think that they're going into the backlog and reading those stories and understanding them on the on their own and not when it's a, a meeting set up to review the stories is not part of their responsibility. So one of the things that I, I would uh, encourage people uh, to do on, on those teams is, uh, is the ownership of the backlog and understanding the body of work that needs to be done uh, is, is a responsibility of every team member, not just the product owner. I usually find the backlog to be too specific. And you get overwhelmed with all the specifics. I'd, I'd rather see a backlog that has um, features instead of stories. Because if you've got, I mean, let's talk about a realistic project that's going to take several months. And you've got several months worth of stories in your backlog. You know, you've kind of, uh, you, for one thing, you've done a big design up front at that point. You're not terribly agile. Um, so, and, and when you do do that, you find that a lot of those stories become stale and you throw them away. And so you've wasted a lot of time getting the details of those stories. So I'd much rather see just a list of features in your backlog and except for the, the next iteration or two. Um, but I, I think, I, I think that will help with the problem somewhat in that, you know, I've been a place that had probably a hundred or 200 stories in the backlog and I'm not going to spend the six hours it is going to take to read all those. Yeah. It's unrealistic, right? Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's ever going to look at those hundred stories. And I'm not proposing that they would look at those hundred stories. Uh, if, if you're looking at it from the approach of even, you know, like whatever length sprint you are and the, and prior to that planning session for, or for, for the next sprint, if the team hasn't taken a few minutes to read through, through those stories and comes to that session blind, I, I think that's a bad practice. I think that, that team members should be reviewing those prior to sitting down and talking to them, formulating some idea of what they think it is so that they have questions and it can be a meaningful discussion disregarding the fact that there might be a large number of stories in the backlog or, or how you're going about this. I think the symptom that you're describing, Natalie, is that the, the team, the members of the team are being somewhat myopic where they want to, they, they want to look at just exactly what's in front of them and no further. And they're not spending any time involved in conversations that are more forward looking. And that could manifest itself in the fact that, they don't review stories in advance of like sprint planning or that they just are, have not made themselves aware of like the product roadmap that the product owner maybe has presented to them previously. And they, they just block that out of their mind. So I'm going to push back against you guys a little bit here. Push back, baby. Um, you, you say myopic, I say focused. Um, so in some ways, I do want to know what the big picture is, right? I do want to know what those features coming up are. I don't know. I don't want to know what all the stories are because I'll be overwhelmed. Right. Don't worry about wanna, the stories. I just, wanna, I just want to focus on, on what I need to get done today. Uh, Agile is really good. Uh, you know, you, you have those interviews and they're like, what's, what's your biggest fault? Well, my biggest fault is really focus. And that's why I love Agile. Agile helps me focus. 
And so I don't really want because I will easily go look at the backlog for six hours and and get involved in the particulars and and try to try to answer questions there and and by by using a more agile technique and and having that backlog uh, by looking at the backlog in a more just in time fashion i can I can stay more focused that's exactly that's all I'm asking is that you're you you understand the vision the general vision of of the product that you understand what the the general focus is going to be for the next week at least maybe the next couple of weeks that you understand hey we're we're kind of headed in this direction but for a member of the team to sit there and at some point and say hey i just don't know what the priorities are and for that to have been previously provided as as part of normal team function and team activities what what does that say about the members of the team does it mean that they're they really don't know are they because they've forgotten or they're just not that smart or does it mean that they're not bought into it and what they're really saying is i really don't agree with our priorities and rather than come directly out to you and say that i'm going to say that I don't understand what our priorities are. I don't know how to answer that. I don't know if that was a question. Well, the, the question was, do you <laughs> oh. think, do you think that the problem is the, is the, is passive aggressiveness from the team and the fact that they're, what they're really saying is I just don't agree with the priorities. I, I think that's the case sometimes, but uh, I, I don't want to, I definitely don't want to get too deep in digging into to the backlog for sure. Um, and, and like I said, we usually have too much in there, too much detail. Um, yeah. I, I, go ahead. I was just going to say that, that uh, where I find that if, you know, if you have, um, uh, you know, a, a, a release schedule that you know that you're going to be releasing something every 30 days, just because that's when your standard releases, and you have a set amount of work that that needs to be done over those those 30 days. I, I do think it's worthwhile for team members to understand that body of work that's going to be done, uh, rather than just looking at you know, like if you've got weekly sprints, just going week to week to week without realizing what that end um, uh, is going to be. Uh, and it feeds back into sort of the broader topic here of vision. I think that having a, an understanding of those those stories that are in the backlog help the team members understand what that vision. I am not prescribing that people should be spending all their time reading through uh, the backlog um, and, and, you know, for, for months and months out. That That's not valuable use of anybody's time. Uh, but the, the stories get to the, the stories are once once they're agreed upon that this is our priority they're everybody's responsibility on that team not just the product owners because that's I, I guess commitment. i guess what i'm saying is there's a fine line there between getting too bogged down in the details but still making sure that you understand what's coming up and and having a, a shared vision with the rest of the team yeah i i look at it as as driving a car. I remember when my dad was teaching me about driving a car, I was very much focused on the cars that were right in front of me and watching their taillights, right? Which is okay until there's like 10 cars up in front, somebody starts to stop. And then, you know, it's a chain reaction of all of a sudden 
you have to stop. You have to be focused on where you are driving the car and the car that's right in front of you, but you need to keep looking up occasionally every once in a while, kind of down the road to make sure that there's not a big accident on the turnpike or a big hole in the road that you're going to drive into, you know? So, and I, and I think that, you know, like this is where it's a delicate balance because you go too far into the backlog, people are going to get wrapped around the axle about something that's never going to happen and never have to, you know, even think about, um, or try and, and over, uh, you know, overdevelop something that they're working on right now in lieu of a feature that could be coming up in a month or two months, rather than looking at what is it, you know, that we're looking to deliver in the immediate future rather than uh, later down the line. It is a delicate balance, but I, I, I don't think that the, the whole team should disregard the information that can they, they can get from um, a backlog and clarity that they can get. Yeah, but there's a definite downside to having too many stories in the backlog because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a tipping point at which a lot of, you know, once you pass that tipping point, it's like, I don't trust the backlog anymore. It's got a bunch of cruft in it. Yeah. And and I've never I've never once deleted stories from my backlog and been sorry that I did it. <laughs> Every time I delete stories, it's like ah, oh, that's so refreshing. So I know is it Scrum that has uh, one of its procedures is grooming the backlog. Oh, yeah. Um. So it's it's always going to be a thing, but you you got to be careful not to put too much in there or not put too much detail at least in there. Yeah. So it doesn't become a major effort. And I, and I think a technique that a product owner can use to give enough exposure to the team, but not too much, is basically have them separated. What the team sees is their sort of very near-term goals um, that they have uh, visibility into. But their long 10,000 lines of, of stories that they have, that's theirs that they manage, and they only expose those in the, to the team in the immediate future for, you know, for the immediate sort of deliverables. I've even noticed with um with a ready queue, which is maybe a backlog on on the very, very small side, right? Where you've taken strategically taken items out of your backlog, placed them in a ready queue and said, These are the things that we're going to work on next. I've seen teams recently that have become um sort of paralyzed by the fact that there's that there's five, six or seven things in their ready queue. They, they walk up to the ready queue and they're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure. And, you know, they want, to, they want to pick this one because they know it. They know the technology. Hey, hey, hey. They, they should be prioritized. There should not be a decision point at that point. There should be no decision point. I agree with you. They, and, and they are prioritized. But still the fact that they, they scan through what's in that ready queue and they're like, ooh, that one looks, that one looks delicious. I want to have it rather than the next one that's the priority, which maybe they don't feel so comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And, and what I've been coaching lately is that, hey, let's have half as many items in the ready queue. We don't really need six or seven items in our ready queue today anyway, because we're not, there's no way we're going to get to six or seven of them. So let's put, let's put three into the ready queue. That seems reasonable that we'll maybe be able to pull three new stories. And that way you don't have to stress about it. You don't, you're not tempted by pulling the delicious one off of the board rather than, than the next, uh, that next nasty medicine pill that needs to be done because it's important, but not so great. 
I was going to ask if there should be a whip limit on, on the ready queue, but that would be more of a work not in progress limit. Right. I mean, I still think that you're right. It's <laughs> we'd have to come up with a new acronym, but you can W, w nip. I, I don't know. Uh Oh, you, you nip. nip. No, not, not W nip. We can no still good. put a, for, for whatever. I'm going to go ahead and speak for the ladies. Get a and say, on that one? Let's not do that one. <laughs> I didn't think that would fly. All right, well, regardless of what we call it, it's it's totally valid to put a constraint on the number of items in the ready queue. All right, well, I think that we've just about beat this one up tonight. Uh, maybe we'll save some other some other delicious morsels of product ownership for a future episode. This week's hottest picks. Natalie, you're up first this week. Okay, I was very lucky to get my hands on an Oculus Rift uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I have been messing around with that. Uh, if you ha- can get access to one or you've got the bucks to spend on one, go ahead and do that. It is awesome. Um, I can see so many opportunities for, for use for, for this, particularly with uh, education. Um, and we were talking a little bit earlier on tonight about it. Um, and you know, even in the medical field, but gaming obviously comes to mind first, which, so I am, uh, I am working to get this, uh, set up with, uh, playing world of Warcraft. So I shall report back later once I've got that set up. Wow. Immersive uh-huh. Oculus Rift world of Warcraft. Uh-huh. Yes. That would be awesome. How much have you used it so far? <laughs> I- I'm curious if it still has the issues with, with, the. Uh, like dizziness and, and nausea and, and uh, vertigo. <laughs> Those are bonuses. Um, I've <laughs> been okay. And I've, I've had my kids try it out as well. Um, and actually that's part of the amusement of, of using it. You can actually, watching somebody else use it is just as fun as, as uh, <laughs> using it yourself because of, of the silly things that they do. Uh, but I have heard people uh, talk about there's an Apollo uh, uh, the Apollo 11, I think, or 13, whatever it is, um, uh, journey. And then there's also a, uh, a space one that some people have said, uh, that they've, they've, uh, they know people that have been, a, you know, a little bit queasy, but I would expect they're the same people that would get queasy with any kind of motion, um, you know, sort of type of like roller coasters or stuff like that. But I'm a novice. <laughs> Sounds like fun. I, I'd like to at least try one out. All right. Thanks, Natalie. You can get me the hookup, huh? Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can make that happen. All right. I am up next with my picks. Uh, the first pick that I have is to pimp out an interview that I recently did on another podcast. It's, um, I was hoping Jason would be here because it's called, call, it's called the Mastering Business Analysis Podcast which I guess is abbreviated MBA. So I just wanted to tell you, Jason, that, you know, uh-huh. I was on an MBA podcast. Ooh. Anyway, um, I was on this podcast with Dave Sabo, and it's his podcast. And he wanted to talk about the lightning talk that I did uh, about, you know, a world without scrum masters and BAs. So I sat down with David and we talked about that for a while. I don't think he's released it yet, at least not at the time of our recording this episode, but I'm sure he'll be releasing it very soon. And uh, my next pick is the Sensi Wi-Fi thermostat. And full disclosure here, I'm doing some consulting work for the, the folks that have created 
the Sensi Wi-Fi thermostat. But I have personally fallen in love with this thing and uh, think it is super cool. I've just ordered two for my house because I've got two thermostats. And if you are interested and would like to get your own Sensi Wi-Fi thermostat, you can use a special offer code that I have that will get you 20% off. And it's normally 140 bucks, but with the 20% code, it's like 112 which is a pretty nice savings on this thing. What, Natalie? Couldn't hear you. Still can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> Do you get any kickback from uh, us using that? I get zero kickback. I just want to share with, with all of you the joys that I have been having working on this Sensi Wi-Fi thermostat, and I'm looking forward to hooking mine up and, uh, and using them. And special deep tease if you're going to Agile Games 2015 up in Boston, I'm supposed to have a few of these that I'm going to be able to give away. So check us out at uh, Agile Games 2015, and you can get in the raffle for a Sensi Wi-Fi thermostat. All right, that's all of my pimping stuff out. Craig, what do you have? All right. Uh, my first pick is a website called Real Favicon Generator. Uh, what you do is you upload a relatively high quality image and it sends you uh, the favicons for all kinds of devices, uh, you know, iPods, iPads, iPhones. Um, those all have different sizes depending on the version of iOS. There are probably over a dozen things you need. It's got for Windows 8, you know, the, the tile. Um, it's got a little bit of JavaScript. I think it sends you, it's got some CSS. It sends you some HTML. It sends you, and then it uh, resizes all the, the icons for you to, to give you everything you need. Um, I was pretty happy when I found that when I, when I needed it, it did a lot of work for me. Um, the next one is an article by Andy Hunt. Andy Hunt is, uh, one of the guys that runs the pragmatic programmers and he's also a signatory that was at the signing of the original Agile Manifesto. And his article is called The Failure of Agile. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, lot of people are, that were involved originally are, are seeing the problem with, with basically the watering down of Agile. So um, he talks about that there. And I came up with a third pick while we were talking. Um, there's an article by Lauren Vosswinkle uh, called Let's Talk About Pay. Uh, it's on Model View Culture. And uh, there's also a hashtag called TalkPay on Twitter. And the idea here is that, well, first of all, it turns out it is illegal to prohibit employees from discussing pay with each other. <laughs> Oddly, uh, a lot of people think it's illegal to talk about pay, but it's actually the opposite. Um, but it turns out that if we want to have equal pay uh, between men and women and uh, you know, people of color and, and et cetera, it would help to help us know what people are getting paid. So that was the idea and a pretty good conversation on Twitter, uh, mostly in the tech field. That's all I got. That's a good one, Craig. And I almost wish we could spend a whole session talking just about the hashtag talk pay and all the stuff that went on with that, because I have some of my own opinions that I won't share at this moment, but Maybe some other time. You and I can talk about it over a few beers or something. And maybe we'll invite the whole This Agile Life audience to join us. 
Sounds good. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. Check out thisagilelife.com for these show notes and all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.